Are you ready to get into the book of Revelation? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. And we pray that you will open our eyes and our understanding to the precious word of God, that we can learn thereby, renew our minds. Now, church, can you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, speak to me tonight? In Jesus' name, I receive it. Amen. Amen. You can be seated and tell your neighbor, it's going to be good tonight. Praise the Lord. And our prayers are with our folks that are vacationing. I think it's several families that are on the road, and I know they're having a great time. Now, first of all, we're on page 139 in the book, just so you'll know. Page 139 in the book, if you've got your book with you. And we're going to be in Revelations 19, starting at verse 17 in the Bible. And we're going to talk about the war of all wars tonight. Now, last time we closed with the literal, personal, visible, physical, and spiritual return of the same Jesus who ascended up into heaven in Acts 111. How many of you know he's coming back? Amen. I mean, literally coming back. It's the event that John describes at the beginning in Revelations 1 verse 7 when we started this series. And he says, look, he comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes and amen. Now, I said something last time and, and I want to clarify because I, I did something for affect. And it really worked because it affected a, a few people. I said concerning the, the rapture, whether it was going to be at the beginning of the tribulation period or at the end of the tribulation period, and I shared with you both views. And, and please keep in mind, there are good people on both sides of the spectrum who believe that either Jesus is going to come back before the tribulation, according to 1 Thessalonians 4, or that he's going to come back at the end and the church is going to be raptured up as he simultaneously comes down. I can name good churches even in this area that you would recognize whose pastors teach that. Now, I gave you both views and, and then I said, let me tell you my view. And here's what I said. I don't care. And there were a few people who almost had a heart attack. They had to walk some of them out and give them a fan because they said, well, Pastor Jeff, what does he mean he doesn't care? And I was going for affect, admittedly. I was going for drama because I wanted your attention, and I got it. When I said, I think it matters more to the Lord how you live before he comes than when he comes. Now, Here's where I stand. I've always stood on pre-tribulation rapture. That, that's, all, that's what I was raised in. But since it's controversial, since there are good people who are on both sides of the spectrum, and it's not as settled a fact as, say, the atonement, the one-wayness of Jesus, the Bible being the Word of God, uh, the eternal judgment that is to come, Jesus died on the cross for every man. That's beyond dispute. If I ever stand up and say about that, I don't care, you need to hit the door. Amen. But since it's 
not settled. Good people stand on both sides. I wanted to just kind of come in and say, folks, what really matters is how you live. Because if he comes back before the tribulation, we're all going up. If he comes at the end, we're going up. But what he's going to say to us is, what did you do with what I gave you? How did you live? Did you glorify me? Did you do my will so that we can hear over our own lives, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So that's what I meant when I said, I don't care. Of course, I care about the return of the Lord. I can tell you this beyond dispute. Jesus is coming back. And then also, beyond dispute, the church is going to be caught up. Now, at the beginning, at the end, at the middle, whenever, the church is going to be caught up, clearly, according to the Word of God. So I've always stood on the side of the pre-tribulation rapture, but I also want to be ready if we're wrong about that. And am I willing to say no to a mark? Am I willing to suffer for him? Am I willing to take a stand for him? Am I willing to go through hell refusing to give in to the world? And I want to be able to say yes. Everybody say with me, he's coming back. Now I hear what you're thinking. Jeff, I just wish that you would stand on one way or the other. Well, I do. I do. I've always believed in the pre-tribulation rapture. But I don't want a church utterly unprepared to go through suffering should that be the case either. So I'm going to leave it there. And um, everybody loved me anyway, right? Because I guarantee you he's coming back. He's coming back, and I believe that we are so near the return of the Lord that it's almost scary just reading the headlines every day. Now, so everybody say with me, you do care. <laughs> if you were in my shoes, I'll tell you, in my shoes, you can say one little thing, and it really has an impact. So uh, I've learned. I told my staff this week, I said, you know, I know I'm kind of intimidating. I'm an intimidating guy sometimes. I don't mean to be. But, you know, tall, deep voice, and, you know, I, I have this position. I mean, I walk into the donut shop and intimidate people. And I say things, and they just go, wah, you know. So um, just know that I'm fully in the faith, and I know Jesus is coming back, and I know we're going up. And when we do, we're going to be changed. Amen? All right. <clears throat> and if you want to ask me more about this afterwards, feel free. John's attention now turns from the vision of the mighty king of kings, followed by his heavenly armies, the dressed in white armies of heaven, to an angel standing in the midst of the burning sun. Wow, I love these metaphors, the, these pictures that he draws. And, and he summons the birds of prey, the scavengers and the vultures from all over the world to gather for the supper of the great God. Now, this is kind of gross, but we're going to read it. Revelations 19, 17. John says, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky. Come, gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. Verse 18, come and eat the flesh of kings, generals, and strong warriors, of horses and their riders, and of all humanity, both free and slave, 
small and great. Now, you got to notice, what are they eating? They're eating the bodies remaining from the slaughter of the armies of the world following the horrific battle of Armageddon. This is gross stuff, folks. This is, this is sort of Hollywood stuff, but it's real. It gives us a sobering glimpse into the terrible punishment from the hand of God on this final generation. The kings of the east and combined forces of the west of the Antichrist have gathered in the valley of Megiddo for war. Now, I've stood at the valley of Megiddo, and it's just this beautiful, lush valley. I mean, it's just, it's just a gorgeous thing to behold. But Napoleon stood there, and Napoleon said the kings of the world could fight here. And he didn't know he was being prophetic. Because in that valley of Megiddo, there in the Middle East, the kings of the world will gather for the greatest war the world has ever seen. Now, you'll remember those four angels who were bound at the Euphrates River in Revelations 9, 13 to 16. And those angels now, time has come. Verse 13, then the sixth angel blew his trumpet and I heard a voice speaking from the four horns of the golden altar that stands in the presence of God. And the voice said to the sixth angel who held the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great Euphrates River. Then the four angels who had been prepared for this hour and day and month and year were turned loose to kill one-third of all the people on earth. How many? Is that staggering or what? One-third of the people of the earth. And I heard the size of their army. And look what the size of this army. 200 million mounted troops. Now that's an army. And this massive army of 200 million men out of the east, along with the combined western forces of Antichrist, will be on the verge of annihilating the human race. And Jesus talked about this. He said in Matthew 24, 21, For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. Now, how will those days be cut short by the appearance of Jesus Christ to the world? But watch this now. This blows my mind. In a mocking display of sin-crazed lunacy, the Antichrist and his forces and the kings of the east and their forces will join together, read the next part with me, to fight the returning Messiah. Everybody say crazy, baby. Can you imagine this? Jesus is coming back. He's in the clouds. He's in the sky. And catch this. They say, here he comes. Let's fight the Messiah. This is insane. Revelations 19, 19. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies <clears throat> gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. Now, this tells me that by the time Jesus returns, people are totally insane. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm fighting in an army and I'm fighting people on earth and suddenly I see somebody coming in the clouds of heaven, a, a savior, that I say to those that I've been fighting, let's come together to fight him? 
I have lost my mind. But that's what they do. King David prophesied of this stunning act of arrogance in Psalms 2, 1 to 5. He says, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bands in pieces and cast away their cords from us. And what does it say Jesus will do and God will do? He who sits in the heavens shall laugh, and he should. The Lord will hold them in derision. He shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. So, man, by the time we're at the end of time, people are crazy. They are sin insane. They are off balance. They are disconnected from reality. And the returning Lord, he quickly deals with them. Look what happens. And the beast was captured. That's the Antichrist. Boy, I'm going to love that moment. What about you? And with him, the false prophet, who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast, miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshiped his statue. Both the beast and his false prophet, read the next part with me, were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Now, watch this. this is the, they are the first two to really go into the burning hell we've always heard about. The lake of fire is there somewhere now in God's universe, but nobody's in it. Nothing's in it. There is nothing in the lake of fire. But the Antichrist and the false prophet will be the first two to be thrown into that terrible, terrible place. And it fulfills 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 8. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will kill him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. Wow. Now the Lord Jesus, no longer the gentle lamb, now appearing as the Lion of Judah, quickly disposes of the rest of the massive end-time army. Look what John says, 1921. Their entire army, 200 million, was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse. That's Jesus, and I believe the sharp sword is his word. His word. He slays them by his word. And the vultures all gorge themselves on the dead bodies. Everybody say with me, gross. This is gross. I, I don't want to see this. I don't think we're going to have to look at it. It's here that the final chapter of mankind's bloody history is coming to a total close. A glorious new era is about to dawn. Everybody ready for that glorious new era? The Lord will rule the earth. And what an incredible vision of hope for a new day. And as we're about to see, Satan, the accuser, deceiver, and the arch foe of God and man will pay for the agony he has wrought. Now, I do want to see that. I do want to see the devil receive the vengeance of God. Now, we're starting chapter 14. Satan's ultimate doom and the final judgment of men. Now, when Christ returns, he's not going to stop the great war. 
but he's going to judge the nations. Folks, uh, judgment is coming. There's going to be a judgment of the world. Man is going to be accountable for the way he's acted, what he's done with his life, what he's done with what God gave him, what he's done towards Christ or not. There's going to be a judgment. And Jesus told us in Matthew 25 all about the fact that when he comes to stop the war and judge Antichrist, he's also going to judge the nations of the world. And he uses an illustration of sheep and goats. The sheep represent the righteous saved, while the goats represent the lost. The distinction between the two is made by how they treated the needy. And I find this very interesting. How did you treat people? How you treated them is going to have revealed whether or not you were saved. Jesus shows our works as being those things that authenticate or not our salvation. When he, Jesus, finally arrives, blazing in beauty, and all his angels with him, the Son of Man is going to take his place on his glorious throne. Look at Matthew 25, 32. Just, we'll read it together. Then all the nations will be arranged before him. This is Jesus talking. And he, being me, will sort the people out, much as a shepherd sorts out sheep and goats, putting the sheep to his right and goats to his left. I got to say it. So Jesus is a right winger. He's not a leftist. Everything positive happens to the right. I, I can't resist. I'm sorry. Because the sheep are to his right and the goats are to his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, enter. You, and this, you're in here. Enter, you who are blessed by my Father. Take what's coming to you in this kingdom. It's been ready for you since the world's foundation. And, and, and they're all going to say, I was hungry and you fed me. Well, he says first, I was hungry and you fed me, thirsty and you gave me drink, homeless and you gave me a room. I was shivering and you gave me clothes. I was sick and you stopped to visit. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the sheep on his right are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When do we ever see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you a drink? When do we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we ever see you sick or in prison and come to you? Then the king will say, I'm telling you the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me. Now, let me clarify right here. Before we look at the fate of the goats on the left, it's worth noting that the saved sheep had not in any way sought their salvation through their good works. This is not Jesus telling us you're saved by how you treated people. You're saved by how you treated him, how you responded to him, what you did with him. He's simply telling us that their good deeds flowed out of having been genuinely saved. 
okay? Guarantee you, you can't be saved and not end up involved in good works. You can't do it. If you're saved, you're going to be involved in good works. You're going to be blessing people, helping people, ministering to people, reaching out to people, loving people, caring for people, and serving Christ. There's no way out of it. I mean, when, when Jesus saved me and I got filled with his spirit, immediately I got involved in good works. Immediately I got plugged in to ministering to others in his name. It's an outflow of having been genuinely saved. And then those identified as goats bore no such evidence. Jesus continues, verse 41, he will turn to the goats, the ones on his, everybody say where? Where? Left. And say, now this is the message Bible, get out, worthless goats. You're good for nothing but the fires of hell. And why? Because I was hungry, you gave me no meal. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was homeless, and you gave me no bed. I was shivering, and you gave me no clothes. I was sick and in prison, and you never visited. Then those goats are going to say, look what they say to him, Master, and in the King James, Lord. Notice they're saying Lord, but they fall in the category of those who Jesus talked about when he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I tell you to? It was lip service, but it was never genuine conversion, okay? They're going to say, Master, Lord, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or homeless or shivering sick or in prison and didn't help you? And he will answer them, I'm telling you the solemn truth. Whenever you fail to do one of these things to someone who is being overlooked or ignored, That was me. You failed to do it to me. The implication being the reason you failed is you didn't know me. So here's Jesus. He has returned to the earth, folks. Get the picture here. And the entire population of earth is before him. Some on the right, some on the left. And it's judgment time. Then those uh, goats will be herded to their eternal doom, Jesus said, but the sheep to their eternal reward. Look at there, eternal doom or eternal reward. Now, folks, that alone ought to tell you, never, never say hell isn't real because Jesus just talked about it and described it, saying age upon age, without end, people will be saved or doomed. That's out of the mouth of Jesus, not me. Jesus said that. Now we're going to get onto a brighter note, the millennium. As Christ returns, the tribulation comes to its terrible close. Several things take place as revealed in chapter 20 of Revelation. And watch this now. A lot's happening in chapter 20. Satan is bound in the abyss. The first resurrection takes place. I'm going to tell you what that means. The millennium is ushered in. It's mentioned six times. Satan is loose for a brief season. I'm going to explain that to you in the next week or two because that's really a mystery. But he's released again after a thousand years. Then the last and final rebellion occurs. Then Satan is consigned to the lake of fire and the second resurrection and the second death. A lot of things we don't recognize. But let's just start. Verse 1 of chapter 20, 
opens with a special angel coming down from heaven with authorization to arrest Satan, binding him for a thousand years with a great chain and casting him into the bottomless pit called the abyss. Revelations 20, verse 1, again out of the Message Bible. John says, I saw an angel descending out of heaven. He carried the key to the abyss and a chain, a huge chain, and he grabbed the dragon, that old snake, the very devil, Satan himself, chained him up for a thousand years, dumped him into the abyss, slamming it shut and sealing it tight. Amen, amen. No more trouble out of him deceiving the nations until the thousand years are up. And after that, he has to be let loose briefly. Now, the thousand years mentioned in verse 3 have been called the millennial reign of Christ. This is going to be a glorious time, folks, and it's what we're headed for. And whenever I teach the the, uh, Revelation, I always have to keep in mind the millennium is coming when, well, let's read about it. Isaiah described it this way. He said, when Jesus comes and he judges the nations and Satan is cast into the abyss and there's no more devil roaming the earth, he says, here's what's going to happen. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the young lion and the young fat animal will lie down together and a little boy will lead them. You know what it's telling us here? No more carnivorous activity. Now, I don't know about you. I don't like things getting eaten alive. Right? We're at a restaurant um, Monday night, me and my family. We're just eating away, okay, outside, outside patio. And all of a sudden, I see shooting out of the sky a hawk. And in front of him is a dove. And the dove is fleeing from the hawk and slams into the window of the the restaurant, freaking everybody out. (laughs) And I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm about to watch this dove get eaten alive. Well, the dove died on impact, and the hawk just sort of shook himself and flew away. And I thought, isn't it going to be a great day when a dove doesn't have to run from a hawk? Isn't it going to be a great day when when a a zebra is not going to have to flee a lion? Isn't it going to be a great day when carnivorous activity is gone? That's what he's saying here. The species are going to be at peace with one another. And I believe all return to vegetarianism, which is the way it was in the Garden of Eden. I'm not telling you not to eat bacon. I had bacon today. It is blessed, and nothing smells like cooked bacon. And I enjoyed every second of it, and I'm not under conviction even now. But the day is going to come where I believe everything will return to vegetarianism. I don't believe God created the creatures to eat each other in the beginning. I think that came with the fall. Can you prove that, Jeff? Sure. Come up to me afterwards. We'll talk. But now watch. During the millennium, Satan is bound and chained in the abyss for a thousand years. Can you imagine not one temptation 
happening on earth for a thousand years. No devil, no oppression, no fear, no spiritual attack, nothing but peace. All satanic activity ceases and all demon powers are gone from the earth. Now let's talk about what it means for him to be let loose briefly. Apparently, Satan is going to be released for a brief time at the end of the millennium to test and tempt the descendants of the survivors of the tribulation. I'm going to talk about this more later, so just sort of put this on the back burner, to see whether their allegiance during the millennium is merely an outward submission to Christ's supreme rule or a heartfelt dedication to the Savior King. We will tackle that more a little bit later. But now the thousand-year millennium is mentioned six times in the first six verses, and the prophets all through the Old Testament talked about the millennium. When Jesus reigns, during the millennium, Jesus Christ will rule the world out of Jerusalem. John says that the resurrected saints of this age and of the Old Testament saints will rule with the Savior. Remember when Jesus said, uh, when he talked about, if you were faithful over a few things on this earth, he'd make you ruler over much in the world to come. Have you ever wondered what that meant? When Jesus said, he that is faithful over a few or over a little, little bit on earth will be made ruler over much in the world to come. You ever wonder what that meant? What it means is the saints of God the saints of the Lord Jesus, the church, is going to rule the world with him. Do you believe that? Have you ever thought about that? Look at verse 4 of chapter 20. John says, I saw thrones, and those put in charge of judgment sat on the thrones. And I also saw the souls of those beheaded because of their witness to Jesus and the word of God who refused to worship either the beast or his image and refused to take his mark on their forehead or hand. And look what it says. They lived. And what did they do? What does it say? And they reigned. With who? For a thousand years. So that's talking about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The day is going to come. I know it's amazing to think about and impossible to imagine. But Christ will come. He will end the war. He will judge the nations. And then he will set up his throne in Jerusalem. When he returns, we return with him. And from there, we will reign with him for a thousand years. Let me tell you, you're not going to be floating around on a cloud playing a harp, getting bored in heaven. You're going to be given tasks. You're going to be given duties. It won't be work. It won't be labor. You won't sweat because sweat is from the curse. You will be given glorious, divine duties, and you will reign with Jesus over a totally peaceful earth. Amen. Amen, amen. Now, I'm going to stop there. I'm going to stop there. We're going to end a little bit early, but we have a couple of things to do tonight. Uh, so we're going to give away an iPad. We're going, to, we're going to take care of some things. So if we could get Pastor Ray down here, and uh, let's all stand up together, can we?
Amen. How many of you believe Jesus is really coming back again? Literally, physically? Aren't you glad that Satan isn't going to get the last word? Neither is the Antichrist. Neither is our men. But Jesus is going to have the last word. Can we go to him in prayer? Father, we just thank you right now for the Lord Jesus. We praise you, Lord, and we worship you in the mighty name of the Lamb of God. Let's lift holy hands up to the Lord tonight and just say, Lord, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. And Father, we give Turning Point Church to you and every member of this church and everyone listening by radio and watching by streaming video. Lord, we want our church and our lives to count for you. We want to be on your right hand. We want to hear the words, Lord, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. Come and let me make you ruler over much. Lord, we know that eye has not seen and ear hasn't heard and neither has it entered the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And Lord, we anticipate your return and a new day and a new world and a whole new horizon that is just around the bend. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name.